Welcome to the Catholic Economics Podcast. I'm Levi Russell, your host, and today is July 3rd, 2020. Okay, so today I have Anthony Fernandez. Uh, I just call him Tony. And uh, Tony is a, a contributor to the Leonine Institute. He's working on some stuff with me right now uh, that we're going to have out on usury. And uh, Tony is infamous on Twitter for his uh his beatdowns of um you know the the neo-lib economics types and one of the things he uses uh to great effect is a chart uh from the st louis fed it's using st louis fed data or well it's not really st louis fed data but it's from the st louis fed and uh i'm gonna put an image of it up on the uh youtube video and I'll put a link in the show notes. So if you're listening on audio, you can just click the link and uh, you can get a look at it um, if you want. Or just follow Tony on Twitter, right? At Fat Tony's. And um, yeah, this is P H A T T O N E Z. It's hard yeah. to describe. I should have a better one by now. <laughs> but, you know, he uses it every, I mean, I don't know, every three days or so, something like that, at least. Uh, yeah, so you'll I'll, get I'll, get, I'll have a quote storm every few days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, so I thought it would be useful to bring Tony onto the show to talk about his graph. And so, uh, you know, Tony, that just the look of the graph, there's a blue line that goes down over time and there's a red line that goes up over time. So what, what's the story mm -hmm. here? All right. So the, the main idea behind this graph is I want to talk about the relationship between productivity and wages over time in the economy, uh, because you will always hear from either neoliberals, capitalists, whatever you want to call them, uh, that there is, as the, uh, the economy is improving, as, as things are getting better, as, you know, as technological progress is made, we can do so much more. And it's true that we can produce a lot more with the same amount of time. What used to take two hours, maybe it just takes 10 minutes now. And that's borne out by the data. So in red there, what I'm showing is total factor productivity, which is measuring how much goods can be produced by the by the same worker so say in 1970 you could produce five widgets per hour uh, maybe today you can produce 10 of those and so that's a real improvement to society everybody is better off because of that everybody is happy with that right uh, the issue is how does that translate to the rest of society and that's that's the real argument that we get into everybody's happy with that red line going up but what do we do with that uh, most would assume that that's a benefit that should go to all of society, right? As things are improving, everybody should be better off. And whether some people are going to see more of that improvement than others, that's not an issue that we really have because, you know, certain people are going to uh, merit more of a reward relative to others. But this is something that it shouldn't be hurting anybody, right? Yeah, yeah, it shouldn't it shouldn't actively make you worse off over time. Like at the very least, you should stay, uh, you know, you you should be the same over time, right? I, I don't know. Exactly. So it's not as if we have 
gone through a horrible war and we've lost all of our industrial production. Our workers can't produce what they used to. Obviously, we would see a, a difference in productivity there. So at the very least, people should be the same as they were years ago when we were far less productive. And what we're measuring in the blue line is, okay, how how does that translate to most workers? So I try to correct for two main issues when talking about wages. The first is that people will use averages. And if you know a little bit about statistics and different distributions, is that if you look at average, that can be skewed by very high income earners. So if you have maybe 5% of the population that has tripled their salary and the rest show no change, your average will still go up. So it's, it's a little bit misleading because it doesn't show you the picture for most people. So what I like using instead is median because that tells you, okay, this is what 50% of the people are earning more than and 50% of the people are earning less than. It's telling you really what this, a more accurate description of the sensor of the distribution of wages. Yeah, so it's, just, it's like so if you lined everybody up based on their income from the lowest to the highest, and then you just walk down the line until you get to the person right in, in the middle. That's the person we're talking about with the median, with the median. Exactly. Wage. So it's a, it's a more accurate description of what most people experience. So that's, that's the first thing. The other thing that I wanted to control for here is that there have been a lot of demographic changes in labor markets and most notably is women entering the workforce. So we have to control for that. Uh, right. So if you use, median household wages, for instance, you're going to be looking at um, going from one income household to two income households. So we have to control for that. So the way I do that is look only at men and look at their median wages. And then, of course, you have to control for some for inflation in some way. Most people would use CPI, but that's not a real cost of living for most people, right? I don't, my expenses aren't the the CPI, they're yeah. real expenses. So what I divide by is the median sales price of houses sold. Why? Because that's the biggest expense for households by far. Right. So you, you kind of, it's, it's sort of like, um, we, we can have, and then this is, this is a big concern because, you know, we have all these debates over, um, you know, inflation measures and we've got at least three that we could be using, right? CPI, PPI, and, um, you know, the GDP deflator, but you know, all of that is like you said, I mean, the CPI is like a basket of, of, of items. Right. And so, right. you know, to the extent that, you know, my spending doesn't reflect what the CPI measures, then the CPI isn't necessarily a good measure of, you know, the prices that I face and how they're moving over time. But I think the other thing uh, that's important there is, um, is the, the idea of uh, hedonic adjustments, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so the, the idea behind hedonic adjustments is like, okay, well, a, a TV in 1995 is different from a TV in 2020, right? And mm -hmm. so when we look at the prices, then, you know, it's, it's, you know, can we really say that, you know, the, the fact that maybe in nominal dollars, the price of a TV in 2020 is higher than it was in 1995, but, the TV is also better, right? Quote in, in, in quotes, right? It's better. Yeah. And so, and, and it is that you, yeah. Uh, the, the, I, I don't think people have an issue with taking that into account, but the problem is, and you've talked about this before, is that even though the TV is better and so they'll make this adjustment that, Oh, relative to the quality of 1995, this is actually a 90% price decline. Mm -hmm. The problem is that where are those 1995 TVs? I can't buy them anymore. Right. 
Yeah. It's like they they don't actually exist anymore. And so then why are they relevant? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So yes, I get more for my dollar, but I don't have the option. I have to spend those increased, that increased amount of money. So is it really a a price decrease from my perspective? Not, not really. I mean, yeah. And this is something that we don't even really need, right? This is what, what is the benefit of measuring something like this? That's not even a necessity. Well, sure. And I mean, I, I mean, you know, you can do the same thing with, I mean, other items, I mean, food, you know, I don't yeah. know. You could say food has changed, but uh, you know, maybe <laughs> it depends on what That's you're talking about. Debate, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so the, the thing about this measure that is really good then is and the reason why you pick, you know, okay. So then instead of picking the whole basket, I'm going to pick one thing. And your, your mm-hmm. thought is, well, let's pick the, the most expensive thing. The thing that is, you know, if somebody's paying rent, it's probably their biggest expense. If they're, you know, if they, if they're in the process of owning a home, like, uh, you know, making mortgage payments, it's almost certainly their biggest expense, uh, you know, just in mm-hmm. terms of like what comes out of their check on a monthly basis or whatever on an annual basis. So, so this chart is showing us then that, um, you know, we've got over time productivity is increasing. And so we would think that, you know, in a, and I guess what we would call a just society, right? That this, this productivity would at least be not making things worse for the average person. Right. Um, but what you're showing is that as productivity is increasing, we're actually seeing a drop in, and, and, and I'll just kind of shorten it up and I'll just say men's wages relative to the cost of a house. Right. So yes, that's the best way to describe it. Right. And so that's, that's dropping over time that, that, that is going down. So in other words, my ability to use my salary as the average dude um, to sort of have a pater familias, right. To, to just have a family Mm -hmm. um, is, is declining, even though productivity in the economy is increasing. Right. So as, as things are getting supposedly better, it's becoming harder to get the necessities of life. And this is not a slight decrease, right? You look at 1980 to, I think this ends in 2019, that's almost a 50% decrease. It's right. now tw- about twice as hard to do what people could do relatively easily in the late 70s. Right. And, and so, I mean, that's it's shocking. Yeah, it really, no, it really is. And I think, I mean, this is, this is the thing, you know, because I, I can remember... And I don't know if you if you ever saw this, but I remember I distinctly remember there being a video by um, Robert Reich, who was the labor secretary for Bill Clinton. And Mm -hmm. Robert Reich was showing, you know, something similar to this. But, you know, he was looking at like, I, I mean, I think his his wage measure wasn't as good. And it was it was, you know, mainly working off of inflation, you know, some kind of inflation measure. And then I remember the, the, so, you know, the, the sort of libertarian response to it was, oh, well, you know, if you use a different inflation measure, then, you know, actually things are a whole lot better. And, and to me, that just seems so empty because it's like, well, okay, well, I don't know which one's right. You know, like you're not, you're not helping me understand this because, you know, he could be right or you could be right. Like, I don't, I don't, you know, you're, you're giving me an alternative, it, but so yeah. what, you know, it, it's interesting to hear that criticism from libertarians because they're the ones who will generally criticize the different uh, inflation measures and say that they're all inadequate. Inflation is way more than is actually reported, and there's some truth to it. 
but strangely, they don't like to apply that to wages. Yeah, I mean, and, well, and you I can mean, see why you it different, destroys. You, have, you certainly have different functions. libertarian camps. So I mean, yeah, yes. but but yeah. So so I I really like this as a as a sort of better response. I mean, it's all. It seems like you know when we have a response to these discussions so it's like a lefty will say something and then a libertarian will respond and then our response is always like you know kind of this weird <laughs> combination of the two or something like that you know it's like in in theory you know we're granting some of the things that the libertarian is saying but then you know when it comes to the data sometimes we're we're agreeing a little bit more with the lefty um and this i think is a case of that so you know what what have um you know, to what effect have you used this? Like, do you think in your, in the conversations you've had on Twitter, do you think it has been um, effective in, in convincing people um, that, you know, sort of not all is right in the world and that maybe they're, they need to have a different perspective when it comes to looking at the data and, and um, you know, maybe reevaluating their theory on, you know, the social world? So in, in my experience, people's reaction to this, and this is generally a criticism that I'll make toward the, the more capitalist types, is they will question it and they will not accept the data at all. So they'll say, why are you using male wages? Why, when it's households that pay for houses, but I already explained why we're using male wages. Or they'll say, you know, there have been improvements in houses that you have to take that into account. And that's actually a decent criticism. Uh, houses are bigger today than they were in the 70s. But even if you take that into account by using a different index, you see the same trend that it, it goes way down. And so generally, generally what happens is that they'll introduce those criticisms. I'll respond to it and say, no, this doesn't fix anything. It's still, it's still worse. We're generally, we're assuredly far from improvement. And at that point, they tend to drop out <laughs> because they don't know what to make of it. It, they're, the, the main assumption behind their economic theories is that as productivity goes up, everybody should be improving. And then when you're faced with data that shows you the exact opposite, uh, it's going to take you a while to, to digest that, to, to think about it and come up with some response to it. I mean, I've even had some that say that they're fine with it. And yeah. at, at that point, it's like, what is the point of your economy? You know, you have this mm -hmm. improvement in productivity and it's, if it's only going to, you know, maybe 5% of the people I don't, I, at that point, you have to you have to get into questions of morality. Like, why should we be for that? It, yes, productivity has gone up, and if it's not benefiting everybody, why do I care? Yeah, well, and 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 that's the thing too is I think that um, you know people for some reason they farm their morality out to an economics textbook, and it's like so just because this is you know we can frame things. This is the way things are that somehow that's good. Right. And it's like, well, you know, just because, you know, the economy isn't, um, you know, isn't, isn't a law of nature, right. It's, it's sort of the way things it's, there's, there's a mechanism to the way it works because of how we intentionally create it. Right. And so mm -hmm. to me, it's like, why can't, why can't there be this reflection on, okay, well, you know, things work this way, fine, but they could work a different way. So why can't we, you know, or why can't we have some other principles at work here to decide how we're going to have the system operate? Right. And, and that's kind of the issue with libertarians in general is that they'll, they'll sneak in their, their own moralistic assumptions in there and you kind of don't detect it at first. Like 
they'll just say this is how housing markets work and this is the way labor markets work and you know if you interfere with it everything becomes much worse and i i really love this the, the this kind of argumentation when you get into kind of solutions to this problem and they'll say you know you can't do anything otherwise everything will get much worse for everybody you're going to end up with a scarcity of housing everything is going to get too expensive and then i right. look at them and i say but that's already happening yeah so yeah. how can you use exactly. that as a serious criticism yeah. Like yes, there are, there are bad ideas. I'll agree with you, but you know, the, what's what we're doing right now isn't working, and we have to at least start with that. Yeah, it's and and you know my my insight on this, and and maybe it's not an insight, but you know, is there's with, with all of this stuff about negative unintended consequences. You know, there's the 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 general framework for this is to look at um, the the Nirvana fallacy. And I'm, oh man, the name of the economist is escaping me, but he was, he was a UCLA guy. Um, but he was kind of a Chicago school, um, UCLA. Mm-hmm. Oh, Harold Demsetz. There we go. Uh, I think he's still around, uh, but he's very, very old. Um, but you know, he, he, he pointed out that, you know, just because you can devise some kind of policy on paper that would solve a problem, um, doesn't mean that, you know, the, that that policy when implemented would be the best way of going about things. And, you know, I think that's fair. Uh, that's, I mean, that, that's a, that's a decent criticism, you know, from an academic standpoint, but I think what happens is we, we get into a situation where we go too far and we say, okay, well, yeah, because, because there's a possibility for, you know, unintended consequences, um, then the market is, the solution we should always use. And I think, I think that becomes the problem because then it's like, okay, well just because because so I, what I call, I call it the, the reverse Nirvana fallacy, right? Just because there mm-hmm. are potentially negative consequences to a policy doesn't mean the policy isn't the best way to go. Like, you know, sometimes you, you hear about, you know, the negative unintended consequences and you're like, okay, well, I don't have a problem with that because I just have a different moral framework than, you know, a Benthamite utilitarian, you know? Yeah. And that's, you know, you'll get into that every, every time uh, they will not want to try anything else to say, Oh, you're going to introduce this consequence. And so because of that, this isn't even worth trying, but that's the thing is not all policies are going to have the same consequences and some will have very few consequences. And, isn't this really the whole point of economics is to figure out what those consequences would be. We can predict what is going to happen before we even implement it. And we can talk about what will be the best way to address this. So maybe something like a straight rent cap isn't the best way to address it, but that's not the only way that you can deal with the problem. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think in a lot of these discussions, you get so many, you get, there's so much straw manning that happens because you know, people have only heard what, you know, they've only heard people like you and me say one kind of solution. And so, you know, it's, it just gets, okay, well, this is the only other option besides, you know, uh, absolute free for all. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's the thing too, is I think, I think at some point people have to realize that there's, there's just a cohesion aspect to this. Like, you know, you're okay with some of the negative unintended consequences because, you know, it's, you know, if, if, if everybody was kind of on the same page for, you know, what the goals of society were, then, you know, maybe the unintended consequences of, you know, I don't know, 
um, you know, uh, lower capital uh, returns or something like that would be okay because, you know, the, the elite types would understand that, you know, they're going to have to accept a lower rate of return to have, you know, sort of a peaceable society. But it just seems like, you know, we don't live in a society, we live in an economy, right? <laughs> yeah, there that's, no that's what I notice a lot of the time. The, the people that I'm discussing this with are generally not the people who are the victims of this. Uh, they're generally the beneficiaries of it. And it's talking to a brick wall, getting them to even address this point because it's working out for them and say, why can't everybody do the same? Well, you can't have a nation of landlords without people renting from you. Yeah. So, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's like you, you, not everybody can be um, the boss or whatever. And so the, the guy at the bottom of the totem pole has to be able to, um, you know, has to be able to provide too. Exactly. And, or the other problem is any, anything that you try to do to address the situation, they'll call you a socialist. And then the, situation ends there because socialism is condemned so we can't can't do anything even though the things that we advocate are far from socialism so so do you ever get a chance to try to explain that part like do you ever get a chance to try to say well you know i'm actually not and and to try to change a mind on that or or is it just always always just shut off and no chance i always attempt to change minds and i always yeah people will ignore it right away um, a lot of people aren't interested in this distinction between what socialism actually is and, you know, the, the things that the church advocates, and which is a, kind of an interesting place. Uh, I don't I wouldn't want to be there kind of trying to go against the church. Uh, it's a dangerous place to be, as many heretics would probably be telling us if, you know, speaking from the not so cold place. <laughs> Right. So, I mean, this just seems to be, to be the, you know, I I mean, it's just this whole, uh, you know, left, right spectrum, capitalism, socialism, dichotomy thing is just so pernicious and it's everywhere. And it's so hard for, you know, anybody steeped in that paradigm to even look at this graph that you're showing them and think of anyone except Robert Reich. You know what I mean? They, They automatically think, you know, uh, mm-hmm. evil lefty or you know whatever yeah it's a, it's unfortunate because it's a decent criticism and the only people who are making it loudly are are people who have bad solutions and so that's really what we're for is to say hey we have the same criticism this is obviously a real problem but we have solutions that don't end up in a system that is completely condemned by the church and you can't even entertain right. it we have real solutions that people have talked about for decades, centuries, and you know that's where we should be. We shouldn't be camped into these two different positions that are both condemned by the church. You can't, you can't be a socialist. You can't be a classical liberal libertarian type. Right. Uh, that should be obvious, and we so, have to get out of this, this this dichotomy to make real progress. So to wrap up, then what what would you say is the the most important policy to implement to address this issue that you have in the graph here? So the main thing that I would want people to realize is that what is, and it's the same thing that the church has talked about since 1891, we want more ownership for more people. Uh, We shouldn't have this system where most people are going to end up being locked out of housing. We want people to own, you know, even if it's modest, own some property. Uh, Once you get to that point, you're, you know, Somebody who owns property is less easily exploited by a system. They're not going to take 
uh, wages for you know, like $5 an hour because otherwise they go starving. Somebody who has property can fall back on something, can make a more reasonable uh, contract with somebody. And that's the point that we want to get to. So just policies that encourage more home ownership, you know, maybe building smaller, more modest homes and getting people out of renting. Uh, that's really been the main driver of the home price appreciation for the past two decades, three decades. And so getting more people into ownership will naturally solve that problem. Right. But not, but not doing it in the sense of just, you know, lowering lending standards to the absolute bottom and all of that sort of thing. You're talking about like, you, you need like a real sector, uh, you need like a real change, not just a financial change. Like you need, you need to encourage certain types of building and stuff like that. Exactly. Uh, and you know, we can build homes pretty cheaply now. It's, it's not as if it's the, the homes themselves that are expensive. There are other issues. And so um, just, we could talk about this for hours, really about the different ways that you could deal with this, but mm-hmm. just, you just have that goal in sight, get people into right. homes that they own. And so that they're not spending 50% of their income on rent. And that solves most of this problem. Right. Well, I feel like maybe that's maybe that's what we need to do as a follow-up show later on. It's just like a rapid-fire, you know, uh, discussion of of a whole range of policies to try to address this type of issue. So the last thing I want to say is, if if you're interested in, I guess a more long-form version of what uh, of Tony's uh, graph here, um, and I'll put a link to this check out Oren Cass's uh, The Cost of Thriving Index. And it's, it's a little bit more, there's a little bit more meat on it. And, and there's a, there are three other things, I think, in the basket. Um, it's not just one, it's not just housing. Um, and this is not to try to rain on your parade or anything at all, Tony. But, um, but No, but it's, it's nice to have an actual economist deal. Yeah, well, I don't <laughs> think Cass is an economist. random biology guy. Yeah. Well, well, probably more than I am. <laughs> Yeah, well we, well, we do need our uh, our microbiologists too, though. So I'm glad you're here. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, so I'll I'll put a link up to that too. And and I'm I'm, it's kind of gotten backburnered with the usury thing. But I I'm still mm-hmm. working on something uh, for the institute that is also going to address this sort of housing uh, slash income uh, issue. So hopefully, um, you know, we'll have that out soon too. But uh, probably not in time for this episode. So. So thanks again for your time, Tony. I, I appreciate you coming on and talking about your Twitter wars and uh, this graph. So it's, it's great. Thank, yeah. Thank you for having me, Levi. And thank you for, you know, spreading exposure about this graph. Yeah. How many people know about it? Hopefully more will after this. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have, you have a lot of followers, so, you know, I mean, there's already quite a bit of spread, so that's good. I'm getting there. A lot of, a lot of good followers and a lot of people who hate me, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks again, Tony.